You're listening. You're listening to a University of Kentucky. University of Kentucky. College of Arts and Sciences podcast. From student to professor and on to research economist and policy advisor, one thing has remained constant in Dan Wagoner's life, his love of math. In this podcast, Laura Sutton chats with Wagoner about his current role as a research economist and policy advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta and how his history in academics and perspective as a mathematician prepared him for this opportunity. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, so I mean, I've always kind of been an academic. That you know, I got my PhD at Kentucky, um, taught at various at various institutions. I actually then got a master's in finance. I mean, this at the Fed is kind of as an academic kind of environment. You get to work on interesting questions and questions that are quite frankly important questions. Um, it's been a perfect fit uh, for me. Yeah, let's back up a little bit. Tell me where we are now in your current position. I'm a, a research economist and policy advisor. So the policy advisor, the reason why research departments exist in the Federal Reserve is we advise the president of the of our, our local banks. Right? So that's kind of the policy advisor part. I'm more on the technical end, so it's more like I'm advising the people that are actually advising the, the, our president. Um, and then the rest of our time is devoted to really is kind of pure academic economic research. Now obviously the questions we're interested in tend to have to do with monetary policy and the like but that the kind of research that we produce would be very much the kind of research that would be produced at you know other kinds of uh, academic departments. So explain for, for a lay person what the Federal Reserve of Atlanta does. All right, well because there are a lot of functions that don't really have that are not directly tied to the research function. So obviously that we do, you know, cash processing. So, you know, so the banks, you know, they're armored trucks, and that's why all the security, I like to think it's because they're protecting us, but it's really they're protecting the money. Um, so there's that. They then do supervision and regulation. And so, so it's basically regulating banks. certain banks. Now, the Federal Reserve doesn't regulate all banks, but there's certain classes of banks that the Federal Reserve regulates. Right. Um, and then there's monetary policy. You mentioned that your first career was a more traditional yeah. academic position, and you've made this transition to the Federal Reserve, yet you still operate very much as a, as a scholar. You know, and it's, been, it's, it's, it's really quite wonderful that I get to get up in the morning, I come in, you can kind of see, well, people can't see, but you know, I have this whiteboard that's kind of full of mathematics uh, that... In some sense, I do more kind of cutting-edge mathematics now than I did when I was an, an academic. So how did you make that transition from very pure, pure, pure math to what you're doing now? At Agnes Scott, it's more focusing on, on teaching, and so I hadn't really been doing a lot of research. Uh, and was interested in kind of doing a change. I still wanted to do stuff and do, use my mathematics my training, but I wanted to change, right? So let's just say I got this master's in finance. Then, you know, this position opened up. I came here. You know, it's really quite near me. Economists and mathematicians do not approach problems the same way. 
and so this collaborative research uh, is, is very, 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 very useful. And then for me, even for other people in the department, even though I'm not going to actually work with them, they all know, well, if they have a particular mathematical problem, then they can come to me. Uh, and so that having, you know, this mathematician on staff, we also have a uh, PhD in computer science. Now, that's one of the advantages of the Federal Reserves that we can bring together these kinds of different disciplines. And it is, I mean, sure, in a university you have a computer science department and you have a, you know, a math department and you have an economics department, but they're always kind of so focused on what they're doing, they really don't have time to talk to other people. Siloed, we call oh, it. Yes. <laughs> uh, whereas here, that's not, that's not the case. Yeah. All right, let's shift gears just okay. a little bit. I know you're originally from Mississippi, yes. and you started your career at, at Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi. Yes. Did you know you were going to study math? Was that something you were always good at? Yeah. I mean, that I actually, I mean, for, I don't know, maybe a month of the first semester I was there, I was technically a chemistry major. That uh, I had didn't uncle. last long. No, I had an uncle who was a chemist. And so, and, you know, my parents are architects, and my mom probably would have been an engineer had she been coming through today, but you know, when she was coming back through in the 40s, being an architect was bad enough. Being an engineer was just out of the question. So that, you know, I have this kind of technical kind of background, and, uh, and so I always enjoyed doing mathematics. But it's kind of like, well, what, what can you do with a mathematics degree? Right? So that I started out as a chemistry major, but you know, I was in calculus and I just loved it and I was in chemistry and it was just I mean, it was fine, but I just that was not... Was <laughs> it your was, passion? It was not what I was going to do uh, and so, you know, after that first semester you know, I switched to, to mathematics and it was pretty clear to me that, you know, that if things worked out I was going to, I was going to go on and get a PhD. So you knew that pretty early on, yeah. it sounds like. Okay. And tell me how you made that leap. You, you must have looked at a range of schools. Yeah, and it's kind of the usual kind of thing, right? So you talk to your faculty there at, at, at the University of Mississippi that they made recommendations kind of based on, you know, kind of who I was and kind of where they kind of thought I kind of fit in, in things. And so and then you apply. So let's say I actually applied to, let's see, I can remember now. So I think University of Kansas um, and the University of Virginia and uh, there may have been one more place. I got in in all places, but Kentucky just, it seemed like a good fit for me. And talk to me about the people you would have worked with in the department at the time. Well, so of course my advisor was Fred Cohen, who I guess now is at Rochester. Um, that, you know, at that time, that they had a really, really good topology group. So it was, it was an exciting time in the department. No, I mean, it was a, it was a very, very active uh, department. Um, and you know, again, I was always in the pure area, so that doing topology and algebra. So, I mean, Ed Enix was one of my favorites, and you know, I mean, I know he's retired, but that you know, he clearly he's still producing students. Um, I mean, he was just—I mean, he was just a virtuoso in the classroom. And that I remember, I wanted to take some linear algebra, so I go to him and said, "Well, yeah, I really want to take some linear algebra. Would you do a special study?" And so he said. Why don't you just sit in the regular abstract algebra course? I'll I'll do kind of linear algebra. And so in the course of a week, right, so in the course of three lectures, I mean he just kind of wiped out all the major theorems 
right, of, of linear algebra from a very, very sophisticated kind of abstract algebra standpoint. And it was just, I, mean, I still refer to those notes today. It was just an amazing performance. Um, tell me what accomplishments in your life you're most proud of. You've obviously achieved a lot. Well, you know, obviously sort of getting a PhD is, you know, a huge accomplishment. And so I'm certainly proud of that. And that I think that one of the things in getting a PhD, I think this is true, I mean, I sort of see this as, you know, my wife's a historian, that, you know, getting a PhD, you become whatever you got your PhD in. And that, you know, I mean, she has a lot of historian friends, and so I've met them. And that, you know, historians kind of think in a certain way. Right? And mathematicians kind of think in a certain way, and economists kind of think in a certain way. Um, you know, I'm, you know, in teaching that I had a lot of wonder. You know, of course, Angus Scott was an undergraduate college, but that you know, several of them went on. Actually, they tended to go on and to get PhDs in economics. Um, that at the time there was this kind of Chinese pipeline, and so we had all of these wonderful young Chinese women who were just incredibly smart, and so it was just wonderful to teach them and then yeah. watch their career right? and then it's kind of ironic now that now I actually see their career in some sense you know, even more close up um, I mean at that time I mean, we, that Agnes Scott produced students who went on and so there's just it was a it was a nice time to be teaching at Agnes Scott because you just had these wonderful wonderful students uh, and that was that was a lot of fun and then of course here I, mean, I have I get to work on really really interesting Questions. You know, the stuff that I do, again, it tends to be the more methodological kinds of things, so that it's the idea is that, so, you know, I may come up with a technique, and so I may not be applying it, but then other researchers, and so it's kind of, it's nice, right, so if I see people at, say, the European Central Bank or the Riks Bank in Sweden, right, so that they're actually applying things that were developed by, often by Tao and I, you know, here at the Atlanta Fed, uh, and so that's, you know, that's kind of satisfying. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. We've we've talked about the value of math in your in your life. You can, you can't turn off being a mathematician. Um, I'm wondering if you have any advice for current students in in, in math or just in general. Yeah, I'd advise people to look. I mean, traditionally, when I was coming through, I as an undergraduate, I took no economics. I took a lot of physics, mm -hmm. right? So that mathematicians were often getting their problems from physics, and now. You know, granted, it may have been 50 years ago, and they've kind of, you know, changed them and made them their own. But that, the, but that ultimately, the problems that mathematicians are working from come from other areas. Right? Even, but even though, by the time the mathematicians are done with it, the people in the other areas might not recognize them anymore. And so, economics, I think, is going to be going forward just a really fertile ground for a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting problems. Um, problems that people work on in economics are not trivial, right? And so that that you know, and that mathematicians I think can can help out a lot. Um, but if you were, I mean, whether you know, whatever other field, I mean, biology is another example. That in fact, our PhD in computer science, that she was actually working on, you know, basically this genetic, right, kind of, kind of coding, kind of in her previous job. But that whatever field, right, you become applied, it's really important that you learn how to speak the language of, of that field. Don't expect them, right, 
uh, speak the language of mathematics. I mean, obviously they're going to be technical. It's not like they're not going to know mathematics or not going to be able to talk to you. But that you know, economists have a certain way of couching problems and thinking about problems. And if you're going to be successful, then you have to learn their language. Now, you might actually then translate it back into your language, solve the problem, and then translate it back. But it's never going to be on the economist, it's never going to be on the physicist, it's never going to be on the biologist to learn the language of mathematics. It's going to be on the mathematician right, to learn their language and how they approach things and then how you can use your training to kind of leverage that up. And if you're willing to do that and you're good at it, then because then you become so rare right, that you can have just an incredibly satisfying career um, that you know there are only three or four or five mathematicians in the Federal Reserve System, right? so that kind of makes us special in some sense, um, whereas there are probably um, a couple of 300, maybe even 400 econ PhD economists if you think hmm. about the entire system. Right? Really, only five mathematicians? To my knowledge, right? I mean, we kind of, we kind of identify each other, right? All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and thanks to the College of Arts and Sciences for making this podcast possible.